0: Let's do this, Unstoppable Force, current teaching series. We're talking about the church, working our way through First Timothy. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 13. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so as we're working our way through First uh, Timothy, we're learning what it means to be the church, what a healthy church looks like, and we want to become all that Christ has died to make us. And we're going to talk about this morning, dedicated leaders. Let me start with a story here. A famous American yachtsman had... He was, uh, his name was Michael Plant, and he was a famous American yachtsman. He had made successful solo trips across both the Pacific and Atlantic numerous times. And in 1992, he had a brand new state-of-the-art sailboat built that he named the Coyote. And he set sail in the fall of 92 on the Coyote's maiden voyage from the North Atlantic coast in the united states sailing to france and there was no reason to think that anything could or would go wrong he had everything going for him with his uh, experience and the state of the art equipment on the sailboat including a tracking device for ground stations to keep track of him 11 days into the trip the ground crews lost track of him they sent out a search team and they and they, and wasn't, they, wasn't, they weren't able to find him until about the 15th day into the trip. And apparently, he had gone through a severe storm. And when they found his boat, it was upside down. And anyone who knows anything about sailboats knows that you never find a sailboat upside down. Because sailboats are so well designed that even in hard storms, they always come back up because of the thing underneath the boat... The, the keel and attached to it is a ballast, which is a very heavy weight, and uh, they never found Michael Plant, and upon closer inspection of the boat, they found that the 8,000-pound ballast had been ripped off, and Michael Plant died at sea. Here's the point is that if you're going to withstand any storm in life, you will face storms. If you're gonna withstand any storm in life, you need to have more weight below the waterline than above the waterline. That's what we're gonna talk about, below the waterline living. Michael Plant died at sea because his sailboat lost weight below the waterline. And you could have taken that sailboat, sailed it through the bay with very little wind, and it would, have, it would look really good, look beautiful, you know, with the riggings and the sails. But as soon as that sailboat gets into any stress or storm, it's, it's going down. And so we're talking about character. We're talking about maturity. Character maturity is all about weight below the waterline, So my question for you is, do you have the character to face any storm? The ballast of dedicated leaders is character. The ballast for healthy Christians is character. Take a look at your sermon notes here. You'll see at the top part of the intro, we have a leadership crisis in our world today. Would you agree with that? Yeah, not only just in America, but throughout the world. Here's what I mean. There's a major disparity between power and character. Those in power are not necessarily up to the task of discharging their responsibilities to the benefit of those they lead because of their lack of character. They don't have much weight below the water line, below the water level. A church or a family or a nation or organization rises or falls upon its leadership and the character of that leadership. And so that's what we're gonna talk about. So where have we been in our study thus far? Well, we're talking about the church, a healthy church, the church and its message. We looked at that the first couple weekends of this series as we uh, kicked off the, the new year. And we talked about Doctrine Matters and then the Glorious Gospel. And then about the third weekend, we headed into chapter two. So the church and its members, we talked about being a praying people. It's important that we become praying people. And then last weekend, we talked about man and womanhood. And now we head into this idea of dedicated leaders, chapter three. And and by the way, don't, don't not listen to me because I'm talking about leaders. Well, I'm not a leader, this doesn't apply to me. No, this applies to everybody. Because you will become like the leaders. In fact, you should become like the leaders of this church if indeed the leaders match these characteristics. In fact, these are character qualities of of spiritual maturity. So as we go through these characteristics, you need to look at your own life and say, hey, where am I on this list? What deficits do I have? Because these are character qualities of spiritual maturity. Now, next weekend, we're going to talk about how to grow in these uh, character qualities of spiritual maturity. And so, as you look through these, this is not about behavioral modification, it's about heart transformation. We're going to look at how the heart has to be transformed so that we can produce these character qualities in our lives. And so, that's where we're headed. Before we take a look at our text, we read our text and unpack these notes, let's pray once again. Would you bow your heads with me? Just take a moment here. And so God, we are delighted to be here today. We love your presence. We know that leadership is about influence and all believers are called to lead in some capacity. And No one is called to be constantly fed without leading and feeding others. And there's no greater privilege than to help people understand and fall in love with you, our infinitely great and unimaginably good God. And as we evaluate ourselves against this list of leadership qualifications, these these character qualities of of spiritual maturity, may we be convicted, challenged, and changed through the power of your Holy Spirit into people who live lives worth duplicating, worth following, May you raise up an army of leaders, influencers, who love you above all else and live to make the church a biblically functioning community that is redeeming, rebuilding, and renewing people's lives for your glory. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said? Amen. Amen. So let me, uh, let me ask you this question, and you can discuss it with the folks sitting around you. If you were, going to, uh, if you were to leave here and go find another church Or maybe leave the state and and oftentimes I have people ask me this all the time. There are people that have visited us and want to try to find a church that's just like Desert Breeze. And so uh, when they leave the state or or they live on the other side of town, I just got an email from someone this last week that they were looking for a church in their area. And so what kind of questions would you ask about that church to see if it is indeed a healthy church? What would be on that list of kind of qualities of a healthy church? That's that's really an important question. By the way, style would be kind of the lowest on that list, okay? Would you agree with that? Because other times, that's what people go to. The reason why people go to certain churches, and I'll ask them, why do you go to that church? Oh, their music. Oh, my goodness. Great music. Or, hey, it's a coffee bar kind of church. Yeah, it's my kind of place. Or, yeah, the, the, the pastor is really inspirational. And it's like, that's all about style for the most part. There's something much deeper that you need to be looking at. So what would be those characteristics of a healthy church? Real quick, discuss it with a folks around you, I'll give you about 30 seconds. Okay, so uh, these are going to be real obvious to you as I kind of walk through some of these. You're going to go, oh, yeah, of course, of course, of course. The problem is we don't think about that when we're going and maybe checking out a church or asking our friends about their church. Is it a healthy church? Because we want to be a healthy church. But when you're looking for a church, ask what is their statement of faith? What would be their statement of faith? Just because they have it on their website, uh, it doesn't mean a lot other than the fact you need to find out what, how do they, when they define certain words, You know, like discipleship, what are the meanings that they pour into those words? They can say really nice buzzwords, but you need, as you get involved, you need to begin to ask those much more important questions. Well, what does that mean to you? Because they can apply it totally different than what you've maybe ever been taught or what the Bible actually says. So what is their statement of faith? What is their strategy? What is their mission statement? What is their vision? Are they actually just, are they just trying to draw a crowd? Just a big crowd or are they trying to actually make disciples, and how do they do that what 's the process of discipleship making and, and that 's a really important question and then the third question would be what is their strat- uh, what is their st- uh, structure what is their structure structure is how is the church governed and, and and the church is not to be governed as a dictatorship or a democracy did you know that when you look biblically in the new testament church it 's not a democ- it 's not a uh, it's not to be a dictatorship or democracy. A dictatorship would be like a CEO run. A lot of churches are CEO run. And the pastor handpicks the guys he wants around him to kind of give it kind of a look like it's a plurality of leadership, but that doesn't make it a plurality of leadership. And nor is it to be a, dem- uh, a democracy where everybody gets a vote in the church. And actually, the church is to be led by Jesus Christ through a plurality of leaders known as elders and deacons. And we're going to look at the qualifications for elders and deacons right here. And so that would be a healthy church but those would be questions you need to ask. And then the question you need to ask is do the elders and deacons fit the qualifications that are written out in the Bible? The qualifications for elders and deacons are found in 1 Timothy chapter 3, Titus 1 and 1 Peter chapter 5. So those are just great great questions. Of course style would be somewhere down the down the road, you know, down on that list somewhere, but those are the big 3 questions. And so let me read the text here, and and you can see these are pretty tough qualifications, but this is what all of us should be living up to. This is the standard. This is what healthy Christians look like. And, of course, the leaders need to be leading the way in this. Follow us as we follow Christ. And so chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, verse 1, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, pastor, uh, pastor, Bishop would be another title for that. Elder, he desires a noble task, therefore an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household... How will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. That's the qualifications for overseer. Here's the qualifications for deacons. And he says, deacons likewise. So he's just just saying, hey, this is... Let me just add to that list just to show you they're they're all-inclusive for both elders and deacons. Deacons, likewise, must be uh, dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with clear conscience and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless, Their wives likewise, some translations actually would say that this refers to the deaconesses. So women can be deacons, they cannot be elders in the church based on our understanding of what we talked about last weekend. And so their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons... Uh, Each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. So, um, a lot there. Let's talk about it. Let's first of all look at this idea below the water level living. Character, that's what we're talking about. Here's what you need to understand about this list, is that this is not a list of what leaders do, but what leaders are. That's important. So what leaders do flows from what leaders are. The foundation of leadership is character. It's who they are. What's, what's more important, the, the tendency for all of us is we tend to focus on what we do as opposed to who we are, but who we, what we do flows from who we are, so if you want to change what you do, you need to change who you are, you need to change who you are. That's what we're going to talk about next week, how you, how you change who you are. And uh, the next point on your notes, these are the minimum requirements for leadership in the church. So this is what we look for here at Desert Breeze, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, 1 Peter 5. You'll notice almost identical things are said about both. In the New Testament, a deacon is not a second-rate elder or someone who hasn't quite made it to that spiritual level. Both are children of God given different gifts, but the quality of their lives is to be one and the same. And you'll notice on the notes, I've given you a definition of each. Uh, Elders are servant leaders. Remember what I said about husbands? Husbands are to be servant leaders. Men are to be servant leaders. Women are servant lovers. We made that distinction in roles in the church. And so elders are to be servant leaders. They have the general oversight of the whole church. So we have seven looking to add to that number, but we have currently seven that would be the general oversight. There are also those that would be classified as elders that aren't part of the board that meets regularly. And those would be those that would just function within that within that role, that they just, they they have great oversight, they give great insight to what's going on in the church, They, they just naturally do eldership kind of things, because that's who they are. A deacon, the word deacon means to serve, and deacons are leading servants. So elders are servant leaders, and deacons are leading servants. They have specific oversight of maybe a small group or a particular ministry within the church. Could, you could even be a deacon and be leading from the middle of the pack and, uh, and be classified as, as a leader um, in that. The nature of leadership is service, my wife told me this last week that we were talking about this and she gave me this quote. It's a really good quote. She goes, if serving is below you, then leadership is beyond you. That's a, that's a good quote. And so here's the third thing. These are the telltale marks of spiritual maturity. How many uh, really enjoy going to the doctor and having a physical exam and having them do blood work and do all the stuff that they typically do in an annual? Oh yeah, okay. There's like one person in the whole... Group. Okay, there's like two, two. No, I always dread it. I don't like going to it. It's something that's really important to do. That's a little bit of what we're doing here spiritually. We're just kind of hey, it's from time to time, we got to look at our lives uh, spiritually. We're doing kind of a, a spiritual exam, so to speak. And so these are the telltale marks of spiritual maturity. We're not looking at for perfection, but progress. Are you making progress in these areas? We're not talking about past, but present patterns. These characteristics apply to all of us. By the way, like I said, you don't need the title of elder or deacon. You just naturally are going to be a healthy believer that you're going, to have, you're going to serve. You're going to be involved in ministry and really care about people and care about this church. That would just be a healthy part of that. You don't need the title. As a believer, you are already functioning as a leader, as an influencer in some form or fashion. Here's the next point. Notice what's not on the list. Notice what's not on the list, giftedness. Giftedness would be, oh my goodness, they can really sing or wow, they can really preach or they can really teach, they're great teachers. I've seen a lot of great teachers crash and burn. And here's what's crazy about our culture is that we're so attracted to people that have a lot of charisma. Woohoo! we fail to look below the water level to see if they have any character to support that. And that's one of the reasons why you see churches and ministries and ministers crash and burn. They're very gifted, but they don't have character. I would much rather go to a church where they were less gifted and more character than going to a church that had a whole lot of giftedness with very little character. That's not a healthy church. Healthy church has people who have a lot of character. So it's, it's more than giftedness or spiritual power. The Bible says that in the last days, those are the days we live in currently. Actually, the last day started when Jesus uh, was here until he comes back again. Those are all the last days. And it says that there will be those that will be false teachers who will have uh, spiritual power, miracles and healing and prophecy. And just because they can, they can heal people and perform all kinds of miracles, it doesn't mean that they're valid. You need to be aware of that. Now, I, am, I believe in miracles and healing and prophecy and all of that. I, I believe in that. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. And yet, it's got to be much more than that. Gifts are given. Fruit is grown. Fruit shows maturity. And that's what you're looking for. That's what's most important. That's what these lists are about. That's what this list is about. Nor does it list theological training. You can have a doctorate in theology. And all that proves is that you're really intelligent and you're very disciplined. That doesn't tell you anything about uh, the depth of your life or the character of your life or, or spiritual disciplines. You might be really good. You read your Bible daily. You pray and you come to church regularly and you might not be changing one bit and you might not even be close to this list that we're gonna look at. And so you can even perform the spiritual disciplines. There's something much deeper that's gotta go on or, or zeal. Zeal's not on the list. Look for someone that's really zealous about God. Woo, yeah. Well, it, zeal's not on that list. And so I, I love zeal, but don't let that be a facade for the failure to really develop these character qualities. Now, let me just say this. I, many of you know my past. I, I, I liked being a pipe fitter welder. Did that a number of years. I enjoyed being a paramedic firefighter. I did that for a number of years with Phoenix Fire. But I absolutely love being a pastor. This is like the best thing ever, and I, I look at it a lot like the Christian life. Uh, it's so much better than I deserve and greater than I ever dreamed, and it's just, it, it's absolutely amazing, and and for me to, uh, in fact, I'm, I mean, we've been doing this for 28 years this Easter, and uh, it's just getting better for me. I mean, it sounds really crazy, but it's just like the gospel is just just coming more and more alive to me all the time. And, and there's a couple of verses that have helped Nancy and I to, uh, to stay focused through the years because uh, I'm going to talk about this. You take a lot of hits in ministry. And uh, so you have to be really careful that you don't become jaded and hardened and calloused and critical and cynical and, and bitter. And so the things that have really helped us to keep on track, a couple verses, and we've stayed focused on is 2 Corinthians 124, and that's really what we hope to accomplish in the lives of people that are here, 2 Corinthians 124. Not that we lord it over you, we're not domineering, we don't want to be domineering, there are churches that do that. We're not here to dominate over you, to lord it over you, but we're here to work with you for your Joy, so that you will be established in your faith. You'll stand firm in your faith. How do you stand firm in your faith? That you will have a joy in Christ, that all the success in this world can't give you, and all the suffering in this world can't take from you. First Peter 1:8 describes it like this: uh, Peter says that though you you though you have not seen him, you love him, and though you do not see him now, you believe in him, and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. <laughs> I love it. That's what sustained us because there's another verse that, that has helped us and that's what we want to do with you guys. We want you to experience that joy but Ecclesiastes 5.20 has helped us to sustain us through the years. Ecclesiastes 5.20, he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. We've seen a lot of highs and lows but God has kept us so occupied with joy in our heart because of in his presence his fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. There's an intimacy with God that brings a joy that helps you to get through the difficult times. So that, what that does is that the good times are leavable; You don't overly cling to those good times, and the bad times are durable because you have a joy in your heart that creates this buoyancy within you and it helps to sustain you through, through life. Okay, enough there. Let's talk about qualifications for overseers, servant leaders, verses one through seven, and our text gives us those. I also put down, you'll notice on your notes, Acts 20, 17 through 38, that's actually what elders are to do. It kind of gives a, a list of some of the, the things that elders do in a church as they have that general oversight of the church. But let's go through this list. It's going it's to be a little bit painful as we work through this. But, but let me just say this, that God doesn't convict us to shame us. He, he convicts us to woo us, to draw us closer to Him, to show us that we're really missing out on something quite wonderful in Him and his grace, and so this, this should be convicting if you're honest enough. Let's start with the first one, above reproach. Above reproach, Not, no one can point their finger with an accurate accusation. Not that you're perfect, but that you don't allow offenses and debts to pile up. You don't allow offenses and debts to pile up. That's really important. It's really interesting. I probably shouldn't go here because we've got a lot to cover here. But I was just thinking that what's oftentimes when we do funerals, I can tell when people have let debts and offenses pile up because there's just a lot of anger and frustration and junk that comes out when people lose loved ones and all that stuff that's been stockpiled. And so when you, when you hang out with people, sometimes you can see that if they stockpile offenses, and, uh, it And it just kind of explodes. So you work hard to right your wrongs. Whether you are the offender or the offended, leaders, Christians, make the first move toward reconciliation. You deal with stuff above reproach. That's important. That's just healthy. If I feel like I've offended someone, I'm going to go and talk to them. Man, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. I, I don't want to offend you. Or if I feel like somebody's offended me, I'm going to go talk to them. Hey, that was really hurtful. That, that broke my heart. That, was, that hurt my that hurt me bad. The problem is we shove that stuff down inside of us, and when we do that, it begins to pile up. It doesn't go to sleep, okay? And it builds up until you blow up, and it's really unhealthy. That's the reason why in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us of our debts as we forgive those who have sinned against us. So that's part of that process of getting rid of that stuff. Okay, enough of that. Husband of one wife, It's kind of a poor translation, but it would be better said, one woman kind of man, okay? That's what that really means. It's also used for the deacon, and what that means is uh, it doesn't mean that you have to be married. You can be single and still be an elder, but it means no polygamy, no pornography, no promiscuity or unbiblical divorces. The Bible gives a couple allowances for divorces, and that would be, one would be adultery and the other one would be desertion. I'm not going to get into it right now. It's much more complex than that. But you just you don't have a string of divorces. And, and keep in mind, all of these, God forgives us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. You bring that to God, you repent, you come back to him, and uh, that's not held against us anymore. But you don't want to have a string of those unresolved things in your life or be practicing any of these things. Here's the next one, sober-minded. Able to say no with your mind when your emotions and bodies say yes. So you're able to say say no to that uh, Texas sheet cake. Uh, I, 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 so you're able to say no with your mind when your emotions and bodies say yes. And, and it could be a lot of other things. Not given to extreme highs and lows. You know, you're not on a roller coaster ride. Uh, C.S. Lewis put it this way, faith is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. So the thing that you you're hanging on to is God's word. That's that's the stabilizing force of your life that you know that regardless of the way things look in your life, your circumstances look really bad, he's still in control and he loves you and he's working that for your good and his glory. See, that would be one of those things. So it becomes that stabilizing force. God, you do love me. You do care for me. You gave your son for me. If you didn't spare your son, then you're gonna take care of every other problem that I've got. So I'm trusting in you. You're the anchor in my life to keep me going. You're the ballast. You're the ballast in my life. And so um, what this is, is uh, turn to the person next to you and ask them what the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer is. What's the difference between a thermostat and a thermometer? What's the difference between the two, real quick. Okay, you guys know the difference? So, so we're to be what kind of people? Are we to be thermostat people or thermometer people? Thermostat. Yeah, we're to be thermostat kind of people. Not thermometer people when politics aren't going very good. We're just like, I can't believe it. I'm angry. I'm mad. I'm that, that begins to jerk us around like a chain around our neck. Or our job responsibilities and the, the, our boss is a jerk. Or our kids aren't doing well. You know, so we're freaking out. And we're, wait, 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 wait. What in the world? That's thermometer that's a thermometer kind of a life up and down very reactive to the people things and circumstances of your life as opposed to a thermostat very proactive there's a stabilizing in your life that's exempt that's very healthy so so behavior a, a thermostat or proactive kind of life is your behavior is the product of choices based on biblical values A thermometer kind of life, a reactive kind of life, is that behavior is a product of feelings based on the people, things, and circumstances. So that's what it means, sober-minded. There's that stability to your life. And then the next one kind of goes along with that, self-controlled. Clear and accurate understanding of Christian truth and the ability to put that knowledge into action. So someone comes, uh, someone's part of your small group or you've got a neighbor and they're struggling with their marriage, you could say, hey, can we sit down and just talk a little bit? Because I, I, I could share with you some biblical principles of what a healthy marriage looks like. And you can walk them through that. Or somebody's struggling with their finances, you could take them to the scriptures that say, hey, here's how to have really healthy finances. Or, or maybe it's, you know, any number of things. By the way, we just did a whole series It was really practical. It was James, and if you're struggling with, with trials in your life, you need to, Blow the dust off those notes that you took. You did take good notes, didn't you? And you did save those notes, didn't you? I would hope that you would. Because you know the kind of resources that I spoon-feed you week in and week out? You, you ought to have a pile of those in your house and go, he talked about temptation, and I'm really struggling right now. I'm going to go through, oh, temptation. That was week number two in the James series. Oh, my goodness. I forgot about that. In fact, I'll go back online and listen to it, and I'll go back through those notes, and now I can pass this on to my friends that are struggling in their life. Can you do that? You should be doing that. That would be really healthy for you to do that, or relationships. As Christians, you need to know what, what it, What's necessary to have healthy relationships? Take people to passages of scripture that have helped you with your relationships so therefore you can help them. See, that's self-control. Okay, I'm cracking a whip here this morning, aren't I? Yeah, yeah, take notes. Take notes and take them home with you and then go back over them and sit down with your spouse or your friends and go through the notes and say, hey, what was God speaking to you this morning when Pastor Ray was talking? Let's work through this. Let's go through the growing notes. Let's, let's ask these hard questions because we want this stuff to be a part of our life. See, that's healthy Christianity, and, and that's part of it. that's That's self-control. And then respectable, respectable. Consistently work through toughest of problems with clear, wise, decisive thinking. Problem solvers and good with conflict resolution. Are you good with conflict resolution? Did you know that in conflict there's, this, there's a potential bomb in relationships? And that you can either disarm that bomb or you can detonate that bomb. Whoa, that woke you up. <laughs> I mean, there's a Boom. I worked uh, with Phoenix Fire. I was a part of Adaptive Response Unit. They moved us up, and they would, we would stand by with uh, the bomb squad here in Phoenix when they, they had a potential bomb threat. And believe me, when they saw like a, you know, a backpack or a bag or something, the bomb squad didn't go up there and play uh, field hockey with that. They didn't kick it around. They weren't careless. Why? Because they didn't want to detonate the bomb. They were very careful because they, they tried to disarm the bomb, and in relationships, that doesn't mean you walk around on eggshells, but you know how to to come into a relationship and, and de-escalate the issue. Because you're really good at conflict resolution. Because you love Christ and you love them and you love the relationship. And so you're building into that. You're not freaking out. So that's that's respectable. Consistently work through the toughest of problems with clear, wise, and decisive thinking problem solvers, good with conflict resolution. And boy, believe me, you're not going to survive in ministry very long if you're not. And you can't be a hireling. You've got to be a true shepherd. Listen to this verse, John 10, 11 through 13. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I can always tell a hired hand from a shepherd. Hired hands cut and run, they don't have good conflict resolution skills. A shepherd is willing to lay down his life for the sheep because they understand the good shepherd that had laid down his life for them. A number of years ago, it was back during 2001, it was the year of 9 11. Our church went through really a rough, rough time. We had an elder, we had a leader that we had hired on. He'd been with us for a year or two that turned out to be not a shepherd but a a hired hand. He was a hireling and he cut and run and he devastated a lot of young Christians. They didn't understand. We tried to bring explanation. We tried to bring reconciliation. We sought counseling, outside help through clergy care. And it was when we were in the process of establishing a good, strong eldership And he just cut and run, created all kinds of problems. We had about 100 people leave. I had people coming into my office and cussing me out and getting onto me and yelling at me. And and my wife, after a while, took so many hits. My my beautiful bride took so many hits during that time. This is what she said to me. She said, I I don't know that I can uh, handle the hits anymore, so I'm not going to be involved in ministry anymore. And uh, I'm gonna come to church. I'll pick one service. I'll just come to one service and I'll come early and leave late and I just need to do that for a season just so that I can recover. And I was just tickled to death that she was gonna keep coming to Desert Breeze, okay? Because I was thinking maybe she'd look for another church and tell everybody that church needs a new pastor over there at that church that I just left. And, uh, but she continued to come here and, and the, the problem with that too is that we, we kind of turned on each other too. It created this problem and so the Lord really began to develop within us uh, much more character than what we had at the time and we desperately needed. And neither one of us cut and run. We, we continued to hang in there as best as we could. It was one of those times that I just felt like all I could do was kinda of tie myself to the mast of this boat and just ride the storm out. And I, I just said, Jesus, you're, you're my ballast. And it, 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 we're going to either we're either, we're going to survive this or not. It's in your hands. We trust you, but do what you you want to do through this process. And I I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy or anyone else in the valley. But it was the best thing that ever happened to us, because as we kept our eyes on Jesus, God developed within us character. We established a good, solid eldership out of that process, and. Uh, the rest is history as God has continued to build into the church here. Here's what you gotta be careful with is that in ministry, you have to have really, really thick skin, alligator kind of skin, okay? But maintain a tender heart. You can't become jaded. And so here's my, my question for you. Through the years, life will make you bitter or better? Are you becoming, this is what you need to ask yourself. Are you becoming bitter over time? Or are you becoming better you're gonna take hits in ministry, but you gotta keep your eyes on Jesus. He's the ballast, he's the weight below the water level. Let him develop what he's gonna develop within you so that you can be strong, so that you can endure the storms. And I always tell people you know, throughout the ministry here, he says, I'm gonna outlast my critics and I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to be faithful to what he's called me to do. I'm going to keep my eyes on him. I'm going to keep preaching the gospel, regardless of what they say or what they might do. And it was a hard time, but that was all part of it. We needed to be more respectable. God developed that within us. We became better problem solvers. The next one is hospitable. Hospitable. Open heart and home. Friendly and approachable. Not cold and aloof are you hospitable, genuinely cares for others and their needs and works at ministering to them without enabling or becoming, I added this now, without enabling or becoming a casualty of ministry. So, so you want to care for people, but you, you, gotta be, you have to guard your heart from compassion fatigue. Does that make sense? So there's a balance. Anybody here ever get peopled out? You ever get peopled out? You just want to hibernate for about six months? Yeah, I, I have to do that from time to time. I get people down. I love you guys dearly, but from time to time, man, I just, I, I need to take a break so that I can recharge for a season. That's really healthy to know that balance between the two and not be uh, and, and not be a, a, a casualty. As you're trying to help people, you become like them and become a casualty. And, uh, something that I learned back uh, when I was on Phoenix Fire, they took us through a, uh, it was uh, water rescue training and when we went through water rescue training we, they would put a guy out there and he was pretending that he was drowning and they had always they told us when you approach them you guys know how you approach someone that's drowning you don't ever approach them face to face you come behind them anybody know why you come behind them is because they'll and if they turn on you they'll try to grab you and they'll push you under the water and you'll become a casualty you'll be just like them So you come behind them, try to get them to calm down so that you can then draw them out with you. But they said, as you approach them, and you would actually approach them with your feet up in front of you like this, like if I can do it here, with your feet up like this, and you'd be out there in the water and you come up behind them, because if they turn on you and try to jump on you, you kick them away. And I thought, wow, that's really a great tip for ministering to people at church. (laughs) I just thought, I'm gonna kick them away. They're not gonna drown me with them. Now, there's a, there's a lesson in all of that. I see pastors and leaders become casualties as they're trying to they're trying to save the world. They lose their own life and soul. So there's a balance in your life. You need to be hospitable first of all. Are you caring? Do you care about people? But then you got to be you have to guard yourself against compassion fatigue. And have that balance. And someone tries to drag you down under. And you don't want to enable them. you got to push them away. It's like, boom, time out. I need to take a break. I love you, but man, you're on your own. You might drown out there. I'm sorry, but there's nothing I can do about it. you got to be okay with that. You can't save the world. God's only only called you to do what he's called you to do. And you've got to know what that is. And so that's part of that. Hospitable. Able to teach. Accurately and clearly explain God's word. Prayer. We talked about prayer a couple weeks ago, being a praying people, prayer and Bible study is the mark of a lover. Those who deeply love Jesus can't help but pray and study the Bible. These are the tools of leadership. By the way, when you look at the sixth chapter of Acts, one of the reasons why they begin to establish deacons is because the elders needed to spend more time in Bible study and Prayer. And so you begin to see that they begin to raise up deacons to serve so that the elders could spend more time with the general oversight in Bible study and prayer, able to teach, not a drunkard. This is also for a deacon, not addicted to much wine, no excessive use or addiction of any kind, drugs, food, exercise. What are you binging on? So it's not just alcohol we're talking here. We're talking about anything. What do you binge on? Did you know that when you binge on certain things, whatever it might be, it's because it's in an effort to cover up some shame. Typically, uh, addictions are, are secondary to, uh, they're, they're driven by shame to either feel pleasure. It's been a while since you felt any pleasure. The pleasure you should be getting from Christ and his presence is fullness of joy. You should be going to him with that, but you do that for pleasure or to avoid Pain to deal with the pain that's deep inside of you. I was addicted to running and by God's severe mercy damaged my knee because I overdid it and got, got my attention through that. I was able to say, hey, that's, that was kind of addictive. It was excessive. And uh, so not a drunkard, not violent, not easily angered, picks fights, overly assertive, manipulative, abrasive, and defensive instead of open to feedback. Are you defensive? When someone comes and speaks something to you, how do you respond? You say, hey, thank you. Thank you for telling me that I'm a jerk. I don't want to be a jerk. How do you respond to that? I am not a jerk. Well, you're a jerk too. I mean, that's kind of typical to how we respond. But you're so not easily angered, picks fights, overly assertive, manipulative, abrasive, defensive instead of open to feedback. See, these are all signs of insecurity. By the way, I meant to say this at the beginning, but think of our politicians here, okay? Think of politicians and how they respond. Most of our politicians in America could not f- would not be found anywhere on this list. That's what's sad and tragic about the days we live in. And, uh, and so, no, not violent, but gentle, kind, forbearing, reasonable, and fair can administer justice with calm resolve, a wise mind, and a healing touch. How are people most often brought to tears of repentance through severe rebuke, or undeserved kindness, undeserved kindness. So so here, listen to me, no matter how long you've been a Christian, but especially if you've been a Christian as long as I have, is your heart, are you becoming more violent or more gentle? There should be a gentleness happening in your life. As you walk with Jesus, as you know him, oh my goodness, he's gonna change your heart. You're gonna be different. You will be different in how you respond to the crisis of life. Oh, my goodness. If God has said to you, I will never leave you or forsake you, if if God is for you and not against you, wouldn't that make you different? Of course. You just forgot. You forgot about that. But as you remember that, as I remind you of that, as you live in the reality of that, there's a gentleness. And then there's not quarrelsome, not quarrelsome, not combative or uncooperative spirit, but one that is characterized by cooperation, willingness, and a readiness to listen and treat everyone with utmost respect. And then not a lover of money. This is also a deacon, not greedy for dishonest gain. The focus is not on money, but on your attitude toward money. Not an excessive spender or saver, but wise stewardship of money with a generous heart. We have been generously loved, therefore we will love generously. And so what you'll see in your life, you'll be a tither, you'll, be, uh, you'll give offerings, you'll give alms, tithes is the 10% of what you give to your local church family. Offerings is over and above to that, to missions and, and other ministries, and alms is to the poor. You'll see that happen in your life. And then manage his own household well. That's also a deacon, it says here. Manage their children and household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care? for God's church. So our first priority is our home, and out of that successful overflow will come our ability to care for God's church. How many of know, know the stereotypical preacher's kid that we all know that he's out of control and he's crazy? Why is that? Why would that be true? Why would that would be kind of common language? It's because oftentimes the pastor's Pastors tend to neglect their family. They try to save the world and lose their family. I've told our leaders here, you're not going to do that. Don't do that. Your first ministry is to your home. And then out of that, that then you reach out and be, be involved in ministry. And so don't save the world and lose your family. See your family saved and then out of that, then we'll together save the world. We will allow Christ to use us. And then not a recent convert or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. So eldership requires Christian maturity that only comes with time and experience. So let me, let me show you a kind of a thing that the Lord taught me years ago. He showed me that there was a time in my life when the numbers, when the finances were up and the numbers were up, or when I would get praise from people, I was kind of inflated. It would go to my head. But then when the numbers were down, the finances were down, I was deflated. It would go to my heart. And, and the Lord was very clear with me and said, That's called idolatry. That's wrong. That should not inflate you or deflate you, that shows your immaturity. See, if praise or ministry success inflates you, goes to your head, then criticism or ministry failure will deflate you, will go to your heart. This is what Jesus said to his disciples when they came back and they were celebrating about the demons. The demons even hear us, and we're casting out demons, we're doing all these great things, and Jesus says, hey, hey, listen. Luke 10, 20, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's your ballast. Regardless of whether your ministry is doing well or not, you celebrate that you know me and you be faithful to me. That's, that's really important. Here's the next one. Well thought of by outsiders. So that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. How do non-Christians view him? Does he act one way at church and another way at home? And in his neighborhood, does he act totally kind of different at church? And then in his neighborhood, he's totally different. I worked with two guys on the, on the fire department that were both elders in a church. One was the chairman of the board of elders of a very large church, and he had a terrible, both of them had terrible reputations on the job. I was appalled, actually, as I got to know them, as I got to know this one guy in particular. And most of the people that would come into the station would say, that guy calls himself a Christian. I go, Yeah. He's no more a Christian than the man on the moon. And I didn't bother to say, he's an elder of a church, actually. that was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. There was another guy. I actually talked to the church about this one. And uh, it was a church that I was attending at the time. And I brought it to their attention. As my wife and I were exiting, we felt like God had moved us on. But as we were exiting, I just said, hey, one of the things I don't understand, why is this guy an elder? Because I work with the guy, and he's got a terrible reputation on the job. Why would you have an elder? He doesn't fit the qualifications. And so, so here's the, the question, is is there duplicity in your life? You act one way with a certain group of people and act a different way with another group. See, that's getting at the core of who you are. Then that's not who you are with, when you're with these different people. You're just a fickled person that's more, uh, more about uh, people-pleasing. Now, let me just say this. The Lord convicted me on this because I was the opposite. I was the nicest guy on the job, but when I came home, I wasn't so nice And my wife confronted me over those issues. A lot of it had to do with the stress of the job, being a medic with the fire department. But my wife confronted me on that, and the Lord convicted me. And he said, that's duplicity. That's not the core of who you are. You're acting one way there, and you come home to your family, and you act another way? You're angry. You're bitter. What's going on in your heart? And the Lord began to deal with my heart, deep in my heart, began to transform me at the core of my being so that there would be a consistency in my life, regardless of the audience, that's important. That's what God wants to do in our life. Now, qualifications for deacons, we'll race through these. they are pretty much all the same in a lot of ways. I already mentioned some of them that were the same, but here's the ones that were a, a bit different. Verses 8 through 13. Acts 6 through 7 gives us what deacons do, deacons serve, so they're to be dignified, take their responsibilities seriously, with respectful conduct, not double-tongued, not say one thing to one person and something else to another. Honest and sincere, unhypocritical. Hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. So this is consistency between uh, his beliefs and behavior. So we talked about that. And next weekend, we're going to talk about how do you narrow the gap between what you believe and how you behave? How does that transformation take place within our hearts? And then must be tested. Then let Let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Should not be a novice, but a man who has been, or a woman who has been observed by the church family and found to be capable of handling the leadership task. Um, In our foyer, in our information area, we've actually got a brochure that talks about the road to leadership here at Desert Breeze. You can pick that up. Their wives or deaconesses, likewise, must be dignified... Serious, respectable, not slanders, not malicious gossips, but sober-minded, no excessive use or addiction of any kind. Faithful in all things, reliable, trustworthy, verse 13. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves, deep respect, and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Personal assurance. So how do we grow in these character qualities of spiritual maturity? You're going to have to come next week for that one, Okay. You got to come next week. We're going to talk about that, but let me just, let me end by by giving you a couple uh, analogies, a couple stories here. Here's the first story A tour guide was leading his party in Israel when they came upon a shepherd driving his sheep forward from behind. The guide found this odd since most shepherds in the Middle East lead their sheep from ahead. He asked the shepherd, How is it that you are driving these sheep? I have always been told that the shepherd here leads his sheep, leads his sheep. The man replied, the shepherd does lead his sheep. The butcher drives, and I'm the butcher. (laughs) Jesus is a shepherd, and he's called us to be shepherds, not to drive people, but to lead them. Look at on your notes. The ministries of elder and deacon are ministries of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is the good shepherd, the elder of our souls, John 10 11, he's the servant deacon of our salvation. He's the great servant of our salvation. Mark 10, 45. John 1011 says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So how does this how do we produce these character qualities in our life? Well, you are what you love and you worship what you love, and the more the good shepherd of our souls becomes more beautiful to your imagination and more attractive and satisfying to your heart than anything else, the more you'll have these character qualities of spiritual maturity. Don't focus on being like Jesus. Yeah, these all represent who Jesus is. Don't focus on that. Focus on being with Jesus, because the more you are with Jesus, the more you'll be like Jesus. Jesus is the only shepherd that knows what it is like to be a sheep. Next weekend, we will look at what it means to be with Jesus, how he transforms our life. We're going to look at healthy believers. Let me, let me switch back to the sailboat metaphor we started our study with. John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace, he wrote another hymn titled, I Will Trust and Not Be Afraid. One of the verses goes like this. Be gone, unbelief. My Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. My prayer Let, by prayer, let me wrestle, and he will perform with Christ in the vessel. I smile at the storms. If Christ is your ballast, you can face any storm. Let's pray. So Father God, it's not our circumstances but our character that makes us or breaks us in, in prosperity or adversity and it's character that is the foundation of leadership. Thank you. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be our good shepherd who laid down his life for us to not only reconcile us back to you but to also make us more like him in character. May our focus be on being with him so that we can become more like him. May he be our ballast to face any storm helping us to live lives worth duplicating for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' beautiful name, and everyone said, Amen. amen. Love you guys. God bless you.